People love to brag about their property success stories at barbecues, but we're not often keen to talk about our failures. In this episode, we get a rare glimpse into what went wrong for one first home buyer. What happened actually isn't that rare. It's just rare to hear the full story. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're talking about avoidable mistakes and one way to make them more avoidable is to talk about them so others can learn from them. We're so thankful to our guest today who we will introduce in a moment or I should say I will introduce in a moment because I'm Meganless. Hence we don't have a mystery house behind Megan. We have a mystery Megan behind me. She's here to keep us on the right track, okay, in spirit at least. Now really appreciate and I'm going to speak in the raw way because I know Megan does appreciate this as well as I do. Mel, we're introducing you, Mel. Mel from Melbourne, thank you so much for coming along today and sharing your story because you are one of our listeners and there are many people like you out there who aren't technically a first home buyer because you've been through a process before, but you don't currently own a home. And so effectively you sort of, in many ways, I guess you might feel like a first home buyer all over again, but it's amazing how many people in our community actually are in a somewhat similar situation to you and you're planning your way back on the ladder. And we really, you know, I really applaud your bravery and I applaud your fortitude and resilience, right? And the reason that we've asked you to come and share your story is that your first home buying experience wasn't exactly, it didn't pan out as you expected. So, Thank you again. Um, Hello, Mel. And let's start at the very beginning. How long ago did you buy your first home? Um, Yeah, so 2010, I was actually just finished uni. So fresh from graduation, just got a a job, my first job out of uni. And um, we was feeling that a lot of family and friends, especially our age, and young in a couple um, that you know, want to take the next step and what's more important than, you know, having a home to live in. And so every, everyone was doing, all my friends were doing it. So we had a little bit of FOMO that, well, property market was moving uh, quite quickly. It was just on the peak of the GFC 
Um, so prices were high and a lot, lot of stock um, new homes. So we thought, well, what could we afford in, in our budget? And we looked at new estates around our area um, and, yeah, just uh, looked and, and struggled to kind of find what we were looking for, but then still felt the pressure to, to buy. So we thought, okay, we'll, we'll buy a block of land because the government offering first home buyer grants and discounts and it was within our budget and looking around. Uh, and we ended up thinking we, we could put a deposit down um, and, uh, you know, title it later and, and we've got that plan. We can slowly take our time. And um, the titles weren't coming in and uh, we were realising, well, this is not what we expected. We, we had no idea. We just thought, jumped in, put a low deposit down and just thought we'll work, work out the rest later um, and got really frustrated with that already, the process. And, um, essentially changed our minds and sold, um, decided to, you know, we'll sell the block of land. We won't lose any money off it because, you know, things are quickly happening everywhere and people are just snapping them up. Um, and we'll buy a brand new that's already um, built. So uh, sold that and uh, bought a house that just built. Wow. Uh, I'm yeah. going to ask you to stop. There is already <laughs> so much of what you told me, and you've given me the brief rundown of this before, and I didn't know this bit, like the bit that you bought the block of land first. I yes. actually had uh, anyone who's on our email list will get sent at some point an email saying, tell us what your biggest challenge is. And someone recently emailed me saying, my biggest challenge is that I've been sitting on this block of land that I put a deposit on three years ago and nothing's happened. Yeah. Um, and so it sounds like that sort of happened to you too. Years ago when I started researching all of this, I was shocked that you could buy a block of land that wasn't actually um, like off the plan effectively. Yeah. It's like it exists. It's a block of land. What the hell? Why is it still off the plan? It's, it's conceptual. Yeah. So even though it's a dirt, a block of dirt, the yeah. subdivision is conceptual. I think that's yes. what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. So it could just stay in limbo for your um, example years, but, you know, for months. And I've had similar things so we're a bit worried about that and and kind of wanting to backpedal quickly we thought we'd, we'd sell it uh, so, and and is that yeah. so the ability to sell it really came from the fact that there was no new land releases since you know how did you find a buyer i guess because if there's a lot more land releases you, there's always other bits of land that people could buy so yeah, yeah yeah so it looked like a lot of the land that was getting released was smaller and smaller and we kind of had one of a decent size block um in, in a, a new you know kind of area that people wanted to get in and there wasn't much left in that area that they had up for available so then um what, what our i guess a agent rightly or wrongly convinced us is that, well, if you want to sell, I can, you know, sell this for you and we can line something else up for you oh. in parallel. <laughs> Which so, would have seemed so enticing, wouldn't you go, oh, great, then I'll have a house before, you know, yeah. So yeah, I can, yeah. yeah one I can person, one-stop shop, you know, reducing fees and all sorts and, you know, oh. why not? And he had plenty of stuff to show us. Stock. So we went <laughs> I'm on sorry. Tour with I shouldn't laugh, but like you say, it just I could just see it. I know that you know now and you had yes, plenty of stock. So of course you had all this choice. Choice, too, too much choice. How would yeah. we decide? And so we looked at a few places that didn't suit what we wanted. They were too small. And then he had one that was just built, and the owner should have been a red flag for me. Um 
changed his mind, didn't want it. I don't know what happened, but had to sell it and hadn't even moved in yet. So it hadn't finished occupancy. So it was just on that cusp. And so he pitched that we were getting this bargain because they've paid X amount for it and, you know, willing to negotiate. And so we thought we, we'd negotiate a little and got that little acknowledgement and confidence pat on the back to negotiate him down. But little did we realise at the time that we overpaid because, you know, you never get that money back for the, the land and the, and the house at that time. And then it was right on the cusp of GFC. So we bought it, moved in, and then GFC hit and it crashed. Um, and already the house was dramatically devaluing as we were trying to catch up and pay this mortgage um, with a locked-in uh, interest rate for the three years. So I couldn't even budge or refinance or, or negotiate, all all on a first like first year out of uni income. So it was just, it felt very rushed. Like by the time we sold the land and bought this house and moved in, it just there was a little bit in my gut saying, oh, this is it's all happening a bit too quickly and I started to feel a bit trapped. But mm. I was like, no, no, it's fine. It's what people do. You know, we've got a house now. Yay, we've made it in life. Hooray. Um, now we move on to the next things of, of, of our future. And I really think thinking about what um, you and Megan say in your podcast, we never had that long-term strategy. We're really living in the moment of this is what we expect to happen. You buy a house, you move in, you start a family, you grow old in it um so we um the gfc hit yeah yeah and hold that thoughts okay yeah. so and the other thing that is quite unusual and i find it really unusual because you came you're out of uni you're obviously in a stable relationship because yeah. you know you you there's two of you and, yeah. and you're planning a future together but you, i think i remember when you first told me this you were 23 at the time is yes. that right yeah. yeah so you're 23 where did you get the deposit from in the first place? Do you know what I mean? That, that's yes. even to buy in that sort of scenario. You still need to have something squirreled away. How what are, how have you done that? You just been very diligent and, and disciplined at uni. No, actually, it was all um, my boyfriend at the time, husband now. Um, he actually put money in for us, um, and I'm the I'll pay you back later. <laughs> I'm sure right. we'll contribute to the mortgage. Um, and he was fortunate to have. Um, a car that he bought um, that was worth a lot more and, and sold it. And, um, yeah, so he he had, he had was older than me, so he was the one that's squirreling away money. And so we had that ability. And we made, we probably broke even on the land, so having a little bit of that, um, that deposit come back and then to put it on the house. And back then we bought the house for 440 so we only needed the, it's not like now, we I can't even remember, I think we probably had only like a 5% deposit mm. and, and had to pay LMI, but, you know, we tacked that onto the mortgage. It's all good. You know, we had a plan for everything. We'll pay it off in the future. So it was it was actually, yeah, the mortgage was in a precarious position already mm. um, and it was, you know, devaluing every minute that, you know, but we, we overpaid for it as the agent, you know, pitched it at, you know, 440's bargain because it's actually worth, you know, 470, if not 500, and you'll get your money back in the future. And we were like, oh, the steal, practically, yeah. you know, where's the paperwork for us to sign? So instead of that thinking, hang on a minute, why yeah. is she losing money already? Yeah. And then why, you know, yeah, why yeah. is it such a bargain? And, yeah. and, of course, you don't think that you get caught up with the whole, you know, the hype and and the fact that Australians like to own their own home, you know. Yeah. And like you said, it's like you're getting on with your life. That's what you do next. And it's yep. all these sort Everyone of Everyone was doing it. Yeah. We were the last ones. So we had that huge FOMO. 
Mm. And um, it, my first uh, job didn't really work out how I planned. <laughs> Another thing, don't make big life decisions if you haven't worked out like your career yet. And so <laughs> I started hating my first job and I'm quitting. And, oh, wow. and I, didn't ha- I didn't have a job. <laughs> I had this mortgage. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And, you know, my boyfriend, my partner, husband, our husband still was working. So we had that financial stress. And then I was looking for jobs and I found a job in Brisbane. So we thought, okay, well, you know, I need to, to try this out. And he was willing to move with me. So we moved up to Brisbane and we rented. So we, we had a rent, uh, rent to pay and a mortgage. And we were like, it's okay, all good. We've got this sorted. Easy enough. We'll just have someone move in and rent it. But with GFC and it's cheaper to like all these new housing estates and lands opening up all around, plenty, plenty of stock. Why yeah. would you want to rent? in a house that's um, in this area weren't so far from the city when you could just buy for the same price. So mm. we had it empty for six months. I was paying rent and mortgage, which Ouch. was, yeah, a few few loans and some, you know, big borrowing stealing from family to get us out of trouble. We finally got a rent uh, um, a tenant in it with reduced uh, rental. Like we just had to cut, slash it, give mm. them a bargain to get in to pay that off while we were also trying to sell it. So we were trying to sell and thinking about how we're going to sell it. So it didn't work out. We just thought, okay, we'll get the tenant in for you. We'll try again next year. So, yeah, and so we ended up selling it low because it was post-GFC and sold it for, um, I think, at least like, you know, 40K under than what we paid for it. So we had to, I had a little bit, well, we had some money um, on the mortgage to pay back of the bank. So... Huge lesson learned is if you're going to go into property, um, yeah, you can't really change your mind very quickly like we had in the last. So over two years, you know, we bought a land, sold a land, bought a house, uh, rented it out, sold it and made this huge capital loss that is still following me around a bit to to this day. Wow. That's, it's, and, you know, once again, I'm so thankful for you just to be so upfront with this and share this because there's so many pitfalls that unwittingly and all in absolutely best of faith, you have just stumbled in, you know, without knowing any better and you will not be alone, you know. Um, and I just I really, I just want to say I really appreciate you sharing it. So let's, let's sort of nut through some of those. There's this idea, first of all, that your friends and family, you know, were encouraging you to do something because that's sort of what they were doing or what they believed, you know, you should do. Yeah. And that's always dangerous because, like you said, you hadn't even worked out really what you want to do for career. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you're buying a house. And I think people don't realise, you know, how, um, you know, how what a commitment buying a house yes. is, you know. Uh, the second thing is obviously you bought the land, then realised, oh, you know, you can't just start building straight away. You've yeah. got to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And you're at the mercy of other other people, other people's agendas, other people's timeframes, whether council's in the way or what, or whatever it is that whether the developer's land banking, because that happens at times, yes. um, you know, and you're totally at the mercy of that and you can't do anything else while that's happening. Then, so you got out of that, didn't lose anything and went, phew, sort of probably counted your blessings. And, but oh, how amazing. The salesperson so, so had your number and so helpful. Yeah, really helpful. Did, did their job, you know, their job is to vlog this stuff. Um, 
you know, the person, he potentially sold the to the first person as well. Yes. So each time he's selling <laughs> and everybody makes a loss, but there's always a good story around it as to yeah. why they're making a loss, but you won't. Yeah. Um, and people do focus on the price that they're paying, don't they? They don't necessarily mm-hmm. focus on, hang on a minute, I'm buying something, uh, yeah. you know, and will that do a job for me as in go up in yeah. value? You've also... And and this is funny, you sort of said things aren't like they are now, but however, there's a lot of first home buyers going in with very small deposits now because of various deposit um, schemes, uh, such as the federal government's home loan deposit guarantee. Um, So you've gone with that. You had to pay LMI as well. Okay. So at least they don't have to pay LMI. So your costs, um, you know, it's very easy to have what's called negative equity. Yeah. Very easy when that happens. Um, in fact, you can almost have it if you like if you have to pay stamp duty, the cost to buy a property are roughly five percent. Mm. You know, so if you've got a five percent deposit and plus all the costs, you're actually behind the eight ball at day one, and potentially yeah. the property could be worth less than you they're paying for it on day one. Yeah. Which it was. Yeah. Yeah. And and then of course you did get a change of career. Um and a change of location, went there, then discovered saturation, oversupply, and also, I guess, cheap to buy. So, therefore, the incentive for people to rent is diminished. Yes. So, that's a whole market dynamic you probably hadn't considered. No, bad timing, but yeah. And then you go, right, that's it. We're just pulling up. We're done. Had enough. (laughs) Got to get out. So, my next question for you on that one is, what a lot of people do, human nature, is that we will go, I'll wait for it to make money for us mm. and then we'll sell it. So how did you sort of overcome that thinking? I'm presuming you would have had that because that's so normal to think that way. Yeah, um, I guess that's probably where the rent came in first. So like maybe we could afford it. Like if it's not empty, if it was empty, it was really a financial struggle. Mm. But if we can rent it, maybe we can keep it. Um, and then realising, you know, looking more into it, doing more research, thinking about it. And at that time, I didn't think land would ever end. Like, it just kept going on and on and on. And I thought, if we were to keep this as an investment, it would take at least 10 years to be worth, and, you know, by the time we pay down our mortgage. And, uh, and I just, I didn't want to have that financial mistake over me. And, and also think about borrowing capacity. So then if we wanted to buy in the future of our actual, you know, forever home, we couldn't have done that. And, it, you know, it had to really be practical and realistic of our circumstance. And it was mm. thought we've obviously already made a loss with everything. Might as well chip out now, like, you know, tap out now and, and lump it. And then that way in the future I can make up for it. Then making that huge decision at later on mm. it's too late that's money's already sunk so it was it's kind of like ripping the band-aid off now versus struggling with a with the pain <laughs> over the next 10 years it's yeah. a very brave way to do it i have to say and it's it's admirable because as i said i i meet people uh, all the time whether it be investors or or first home buyers it doesn't have to be first home buyers even for that matter people fall for these sort of sales tactics and it usually is around new stock, whether it be apartments or house and land packages. So these stories, as I said, you know, this is not rare, unfortunately. Um, it's rare that you're just telling us about it and we, you know, appreciate that. But that ability to, to then go and research it openly with an open mind and actually really think, then start thinking long-term, which is what you obviously did. You know, you go, yeah. hang on a minute, we've already made this mistake. I know it's a mistake, 
Now I'm going to think long-term and think, do I, how long do I want to keep this mistake? And then what's the consequences? And of course it has set you back because you're still, you know, you're now back in that sort of first home buying. Take um, two. Yeah. Take two. Do it right this time. Sort of yes. thing. Um, but all your thinking back then about, you know, that endless supply, you know, that's really good stuff to be thinking about. Where did you start learning about that? Because, you know, this isn't talked about enough. So you've you've obviously, obviously very smart yourself, or you've come across some good learning back then to give you that knowledge. Where, where did you go? How did you find that out? How did you win up yeah, that? Yeah. So my husband actually worked um, in tax appreciation. Oh. In, in inspection, <laughs> doing inspections, so not a quantity surveyor. Mm. And back then he was doing that. So he was going to a lot of these conferences and seminars and talking to investors about investment property. So I was asking him lots of questions, picking things up. So, you know, with that investment hat on, we knew that, you know, the investment grade stock was, you know, the ones in the inner city, the ones that people want to be able to live and rent. And mm. if we looked at, when I'm looking at rental costs and, and stock and, and when we, I was just looking, you know, why would people want to rent out in the new estates for, you know, yeah, it's cheaper, but what's the incentive? Like mm. there's no, there was no train line out there at the time and oh, there wow. is now. <laughs> so like why would you want to pay? Like, yeah, of course you'd want to pay a little bit more to be in a city. So I knew it was a bad investment grade um, mm. at that time, but was knowing that, yeah, but people bought out there to live out there as a family, to as a you know principal place of residence. Mm. So, thinking that if we were to live in Brisbane and didn't know how long we were going to live there for and what was going to happen in the future, then it was it wasn't a very sensible investment option for us. Yeah. So yeah, having that knowledge, I guess, helped that insight. How long did you live in Brisbane for? Uh, two years in the end. We came back for family and yeah, had some. Um, family that was sick at the time so I wanted to move back but yeah loved loved Brazil and and completely different market in terms of rental and property too mm. so yeah yeah it is interesting what you talk about you know these out of developments where there's no infrastructure really to support them they build the subdivision then they build the infrastructure yeah. the olden days like in the 60s and 70s it used to be they built the infrastructure then they built the the subdivisions mm-hmm. And so it's the, uh, yeah, it's us about, it's basically they've got to have the critical mass of people out there before governments will actually invest the money. But, you know, you can see how the first home buyer gets sold the dream of, of getting on the property ladder and, and then that's worth all the pain of having really poor transport links, et cetera, et cetera, whereas the tenant's going to go, bugger that. Yeah. Like, why would I put up with that? So it yeah. does make absolute perfect sense when you sort of sit down in a cold, hard cuck that away and, and look at it that way. Um, okay, so you have you ever looked at has it sold since you sold it? And I should no, have asked you this before. I should have asked for the address and checked it out. Yeah. I have so, looked because yeah. I can drive past it. And I, yeah. it's a nice reminder of financial mistakes that I can always learn from. So, no, it hasn't sold since. So the, the buyers that bought it off us are still there, mm. which is, you know, is what, what should have happened. Like I think thinking about it, you know, before we should have said, well, am I comfortable to live here for 10, 12 plus years? The answer is no, then we shouldn't have gone into it. We mm. should have thought, what do we want? Like, is it in the city or, you know, if I'm not sure about the career, then yeah, like let's not commit to anything. Mm. That's going to take time because properties, as you said, it's a huge commitment and especially in the new areas, you have to be patient. You have to know that that's going to take at least 10, 12 plus years because you're paying more 
on the house and the land mm. to begin with, even though you think like, oh, it's all wrapped in, it's a bundle, you know, it's just set and forget. Um, yeah, it's property is definitely not for someone who changes their mind frequently like we did back then. So lessons not learned. Not only that, but in, and I've, I've, I've got to get my numbers correct here, but in a new house and land package or a new apartment, something like, I think it's 40%. It's definitely not less than 40%. 40% of the price that buyers pay is wrapped up in taxes in the three layers of government. So there's various taxes, that, you know, rates and taxes and developer fees and all sorts of things that that go into and stamp duty as well. There's, there's a number of, of le- levels or layers of tax. In fact, effectively, stamp duty paying tax on tax too. Mm. You know, if you are paying stamp duty on those first um, as a first home buyer. And if you're not, in order to buy those brand new places, you're just getting a little d- discount on all that tax that you're paying, you know, um, that's hidden that you don't even realise you're paying. And so, of course, if a lot of these these prices are made up, a big chunk of it is tax, then there's nothing of value in that. Mm. You know, that's not b- paying for the house. That's not paying for the land even. Yeah. So, you know, th- it's inflated. For t- and, I mean, you could argue, some people argue, well, people pay the price, so therefore it's worth it. But when they're incentivised by the government and, they're, mm. you know, there's this perception in their mind that they got to buy that sort of property because they've been given all these gifts, Yeah, you know, then that's how you accidentally overpay for property. Um, and the other thing too, I guess, when you're really young and naive and even older naive people, you don't have to be young to be naive, you know, the sales agent does have way more information than you have, yeah. you know. Always. Yeah, and if you're and if you really want something enough, you are. In, we are human nature. We are inclined to believe what is being told to us because it fits with what we want to happen. Yeah, we were just wanted a house. We weren't sure um, what the future had for us, but you know, it, it was ingrained in us that you know everyone else was doing. And I think as well, the hardest thing was a lot of our friends and family had good success stories. Uh, they were telling once of um, buying a townhouse and then it went up in value, but, you know, they, they bought in a townhouse in a, in, in a pocket, so it wasn't a new estate. Mm. And I think I we thought that we could replicate the same success, right? We thought, yeah. well, why not? We, we know what the formula is. You buy, you, you live in it for two to five years like my friends and then you sell it and you make double the amount. It's just it doesn't work that way. We've realised that, you know, everyone's on this different financial journey and, Yep, there's great success stories out there, but you can't apply that to everything. And I think that's where we were at a loss to say, well, everyone else is doing it. It's not that hard. can't be. But, yeah, falling for that trap and then going for it and realising, oh, no, there's a lot of things you can do wrong um, along the journey. And, you know, it's not even a matter of timing. It's place, it's location, it's how much deposit you have, what's, you know, everything that impacts that. So, yeah, really learnt from these success stories is is to not, is to really ask questions and to scrutinise and do your own research versus the thinking that you could just, why not, I could do it too, everyone could do it. Yeah. Well, you know, potentially everyone could with fully armed with all the information, yes. but that's the problem is often people who have, who have um, a success story, they often don't even realise the luck that was involved, you yes. know, yeah. or they don't realise that, yeah, and, and a lot of it is luck if you just find yourself in that right place and that happens to be the sort of property that you want and that happens to be affordable, yeah. they don't actually realise that there were a whole bunch of other options that, that they could easily have taken. Yeah. When, um, when you did sell it, Okay, given that you paid a 5% deposit and LMI and yep. then obviously you've been paying 
a loan, a mortgage. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And then, but you you sold it for roughly 10% less than you paid, or not quite 10% less by the sounds of it. So yeah. you would have had to find extra money to settle the debt. Is that is that yeah. correct? Yes. So we had to get a lot a bank loan to pay off the mortgage. So wow. a loan on a loan on a loan, or it's just yeah, robbing Peter to pay Paul essentially. So that's yeah. a personal loan? Yes, it was a personal loan. Yeah. So you had to a personal loan at a higher interest rate. Yes. Um, but just but over to, a shorter period of time, of course, yeah. than it than just a, to settle on the property, yeah. Just to to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so that's even braver again. Do you know what I mean? Like to make that call that you were you got yourself educated and you realized that um you know, this is, you know, ripping the band-aid off, I think, is your word. It's, you know, I know that I'm going to be better off in the long run if I do this now. It's going to hurt, but mm-hmm. hey. Um, so how long would you say now? And now you said you bought just before the GFC, was that correct? So Yes. That's 14 years ago now. Um, and then you sold 12 years ago, about right? Yeah. Um, so so you're, are you saying to me then, I'm putting words in your mouth potentially, is that, it's, you know, now you're not quite ready to buy again yet. And yeah. there's lots of things that happened since, obviously. But, yes. um, you know, got a, you've got a family now and there's yes. lots of other life decisions that you've made. Um, but really now you're sort of, you're still on the journey, on the first home buyer yeah. journey 12 years after. Yeah. So it can really slow things down. <laughs> it can, yeah. yeah. And it's put, it's, I guess it's made me super cautious as well. Like I obviously have a lot more riding on getting this right the second time around. Like mm. I do not want to make another mistake. So I have been quite cautious and, you know, investing in myself and education about, okay, well, what what did we do wrong? What, you know, what do we want now? And, and going through that, having that discussion with my husband about what do we want, are we sure? And, you know, how long are we going to live there for? <laughs> you know, so the next place we're going to get our, you know, forever home-ish is, somewhere that we can have our family and, and suits our needs and that mm. we can stay there, you know, until who knows retirement or at, at least over 10 to 12 years of saying. So we really have to think, and I think COVID's really pushed that on as well with people moving, you know, sea change, tree change, like wh- where do we want to live and, and mm. what's going to work for us, especially now there's less pressure on commuting. So it's no longer that I have to be near a train line anymore. So there's a lot of lifestyle changes and I'm really grateful that we didn't rush into it again and just because we felt like we're missing out. And, um, and I think there was some opportunities. There was some more land and, and other opportunities that came up. We're like, no, no, remember <laughs> your last mistake. Don't do it. Don't fall for it. Don't take your super out. Just it was, yeah, those sorts of things that was just alarm bells. And I'm like, no, no, I want to get it right. And I think, yeah, things that are worth it, that, yeah, it's going to take time and it's, it can't be done quickly overnight. Unless I went to Slotto, it's a different story or a house. But, <laughs> yeah. That could change everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because when I was last speaking to you off air, you were considering, you sort of going through that exercise of thinking, okay, do we look regional? You know, is that an option? And and I've been thinking about you because only this week, I'm not sure if you've, you've listened to the podcast we released this week. Obviously, we not record yet. these and then we release them um, over time. But episode 74 is with Jacqueline, who was one of our beta, I think, oh, she's in our second beta group, actually, of students of her, your first home buyer guide. And her and her husband with their three small children, they actually bought in regional Victoria after living in um, the western suburbs of, of um, Melbourne. 
and and they went through this whole exercise. So that'd be a really good episode for you to listen to. And I thought sure. of you when we recorded it. And um, and in fact, you know, for anyone else who's listening to this that is thinking, look, you know, is regional the answer? And it yeah. isn't for everyone, but I think her thought process and their thought process that they went through to arrive at that decision for them is just quite illuminating. And I think that it is a unique outcome. Everyone's ultimate decision is unique to them, to their needs. Mm. And but fundamentally what you buy is so important, you yeah. know. It, it's, you know, and buying with that long term in mind so that you don't buy and then things change. And things do change in life, of course. Yeah. But, you know. If you can avoid it. Yeah, exactly right. If you can start to try to put yourself out there and maybe five, where am I going to be in five years, 10 yeah. years? Where do want to be? Yeah. 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 Not one. Just, yeah, don't keep it short term like I did. <laughs> so I love the fact that you, you know, you haven't licked your wounds and gone into a hole and said, that's it, I'm never doing it again. Because some people when, you know, once burnt, twice shy, you know, yes, you're cautious, but, it, you know, you can still do it, you know. Yeah. And I think that, yes, it's cost you and, you know, but I think that's great that you're in a position you can still do it. Um, is there just sort of one last question? Uh, is there one thing that you now know or, or, I mean, you obviously know a lot that you wish you knew as a first home buyer, but is yes. there one thing that you now know that you think every other first home buyer out there doesn't know it or most of them don't know it? You know, anything that we haven't covered in this in this story today? Yeah. Um, I think it's that sense of confidence because I think, you know, you, you know people that have bought and sold and, you know, we sold a land, we bought a house, like, you might do it once, you might not have done it, but because it's such a common thing, like, you know, everyone's going to live somewhere, that false confidence that, you know, as I said, you could, that, oh, well, other people have done it. Mm. They've clearly made um, great um, capital on it or had great outcomes. I could do that too. So it's that sense of confidence or false confidence that, you know, and maybe being young and naive, but I could see how easily people can fall into that to saying, oh, you know, not too hard and not doing the research and taking the time in, into, you know, getting that support system around you and questioning and seeing and thinking about that and just mm. going in because it's like that, oh, she'll be right attitude, work it out later. But it's, yeah, if I could go back, I would really, like, take your time and listen to your gut. And if it's if it is too fast, and what is the rush? Slow down. What What is the burning question? What, what do you need to do this so badly? What's the drivers behind it? So, yeah, I think that confidence. And, and there's always something for us to learn. I'm, I'm learning, you know, with podcasts and, and reading more articles on the news and the market's changing all the time. So mm. it's interesting how things are changing and um, how that changes the way you look at it and, and your approach. And as you said, like life changes. So mm. you've, I think it's really important that if things do change in life or, or you know, if you don't like your job or you want to move or whatever, I think that's a really good time to kind of reflect and assess. It's like, what do I want? Like, you know, if it is you got a mortgage, do I want to refinance? What is that future? And not just, you know, kind of set and forget you've made it. Like I think yeah. that's really important to a bit of a finance health check for yourself to see if that's really, if you're on track and if that's meeting expectations and needs because I think that's important too. Yeah, totally agree with you. And it is hard because I know a lot of first-time buyers are like, well, you know, I, I 
I don't know what I'm going to be doing in the future. You know, I don't know if I'm going to move overseas. I don't know if I'm going to have kids. I don't know if I'm going to partner up. You know, there's there, and that's hard too because a lot of people don't want to make a commitment. I guess the one thing I would always say to that is, yes, you do have to know yourself. You do have to reflect and you do have to sort of question and learn and all that sort of stuff. And I think that your approach is really positive. And one thing I would say that the best um, protection against change is by buying a really good asset that you've got more than one exit strategy. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really where you've learned the hard way. You know, the exit strategy for some people is to rent it out, but then you was like, well, what's really hard to get a tenant? You know, yeah. the exit, exit strategy for some people is to sell it, um, but then you lose money if it, if the market's, yeah. if it's not going right. in or on there, yeah. it's going up. And, and the exit strategy can be you refinance if the property is going up in value. So if you buy a really good asset that goes up in value, is in demand always, from other people to buy or from um, people to rent, you've got so many more potential exit strategies, and and that's your per- that's your protection against yeah. change. Yeah. Um, and you know, I hate that you've learned it the hard way. I really do. But I really thank you so much for coming and sharing your story, so that others cannot learn the hard way. Yeah. So, so what not to do? Episode really. So <laughs> yes. I'm a high achiever, so I like to do everything once at least. <laughs> and you know what? I've made mistakes in life, you know, around property and not around property. And yeah, yeah, yeah the learning is really that gives you a much more robustness around just generally approaching lots of different things. And yeah, I'm, I'm really, I love your attitude. It's great. Yeah. Gotta laugh or cry, right? <laughs> in this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10 step online course for first time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.